0: I want to just check in with each of you for a moment. Many of you I've talked to. Uh, some of you I've seen. But I, I don't know how you feel about the fact that there have been 233 mass shootings in our country this year. How are you? Are you tired of these? It's overwhelming, isn't it? This week I was listening to, um, uh, there's a, PBS NewsHour, there's a a time when they invite David Brooks, who is the conservative reporter for the New York Times, and Jonathan Capehart, who's the associate editor of the Washington Post, two men that have radically different different, uh, political persuasions. And um, you know, just ten days after we saw people uh, murdered in Buffalo by a mass shooter, we saw 21 people, 19 children and two teachers shot at Robb Elementary in Uvalde, And then we saw it Wednesday night come to St. Francis. It's just this seemingly um, senseless, tragic sense of violence. And David Brooks broke script this week, and he said, I wonder what it's like for all of us to experience the news these days. And it's not only been this week's. Brooks says, I'd say it's been since 2013, and it's been pummeling to experience the news and be in the news business. And that can't not have an effect on us all. Just the emotional blows and the moral blows, and then the haunting fear that these events are not isolated events, but part of a rising tide of menace across society. Not only the mass shootings, racism, crazy events against children, but just a, a growing level, a sense that people are under threat. And that it could come from violent crime. It, can, it could be, even be trivial things. He says, I talked to a guy this week who owns a restaurant, a nice guy, who says he has to kick someone out every week now just for brutal and rude behavior. School board meetings, churches co-op board meetings, just a rising tide of menace. Peggy Noonan, columnist for the Wall Street Journal, said, people are proud of their bitterness now. And so I worry about the moral atmosphere of this country, of which these mass shootings are only the most cancerous effect. And Jonathan Capehart, who seldom agrees with Brooks, says, I agree with you. There is an atmosphere of menace in this country. I feel it as an LGBT person, Capehart writes or says. I feel it as a black person. At a certain point, I'm going to feel under siege as an American, period. And that is no way to live. When I heard Wednesday night about the mass shooting, I went, uh, went home and hugged my wife and hugged my children. And I went outside and I saw the uh, birds, heard the birds singing and the geese fly overhead. And, and um, I was telling the session a couple weeks ago, I, 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 thought, I thought about this poem that I shared with them uh, by Wendell Berry called The Peace of Wild Things. Do you know this poem? It says that when despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound of what my life or my children's lives might be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax themselves with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water and feel above me the day blind stars waiting with their light. I come to the grace of the world and am free. And I don't know where you go to be free, but somewhere you go. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we see this beautiful picture of a place where all you need is where you never look. Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Presbyterian Church in Owasso, Oklahoma. Our passion is to show that grace changes everything in Jesus Christ by equipping you to rest in worship, grow in community, and rediscover your calling. To join our body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at trinityowasso.com. And so would you stand with me as we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 12, and we'll go down through verse 27. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are but one, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand and do not belong in the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong in the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? And as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Please. What if you had everything you'd ever wanted in the one place you never looked? All you need. Well, you never looked. And what if you were so crucial to that place's flourishing? You, not the person next to you. You. That the Holy Spirit used others in this room to remind you just how crucial you are. Each culture has a word for deep longing, deep sense of belonging. The Germans call it Zinsatzkst. The Koreans call it kaimun. And the remarkable thing is that this longing is, is insufferable. Nature and nostalgia, the desire to be loved, to be held by a lover, beckons us, but she cannot open her arms to us. Career, family, possessions may temporarily placate our longings, but they will not satisfy us. Even marriage at its best, does not meet our inconsolable longing. The truth is that nothing on this earth can meet that longing. And this is because, as J.R. Tolkien puts it, our final joys lie beyond the walls of this world. Ultimate beauty comes not from a lover or a landscape or a home, but only through them. And this is important to understand. If we are to be God's faithful presence in the world. One of the most burdensome and beautiful responsibilities of any church in any age is to reimagine the faithfulness of his own presence in their place and time. To reimagine our faithful presence in Owasso and in Tulsa, Trinity, what does that look like? It's burdensome because it requires us to look honestly at ourselves. And what we often see is brokenness, even in our homes, even in our hearts. But it's also beautiful, and it's important that you know that. And in First Corinthians chapter 12, Paul zeroes in on teaching the Corinthian church, which was a mess, just like you and me, that there is to be no division in her. And he tries to come up with an analogy on the spot. I can imagine him from Ephesus writing this book. And he's trying to think, what's the best analogy I can think of? And, and he looks at his hand and he says, "Ah, oh, the body, the body. And he uses this beautiful picture of the body as a picture of what our life as a covenant community is to be like. And he talks about it in three aspects. He talks about the dynamics of covenant membership, the function of covenant membership, and the uniqueness of covenant membership membership together. How does that work? How does the Holy Spirit use us to function together as a body? And how might the presence of this group, these people in this room, right here, right now, our church, how might we be the place where you are provided all you'd ever need and the place you'd never look? Might the Holy Spirit be calling you to lean more deeply into the church to find Your deepest needs met as we look at our Savior together. So, first, the dynamics of covenant membership. Paul's emphasis here is not on unity, which we tend to think when we read this passage. We think to the odds, about the unity of the church. So if he talked about that in chapters one to four of 1 Corinthians, here Paul's emphasis is on the radical diversity of the church. If we were to read this text today, we might say uh, the body is, is one and has many members. And so we can say, for example, because I am not a Democrat, I do not belong in the body. That would not make me any less part of the body. And if, and if the Republican should say, because I'm, the Democrat should say, because I'm not a Republican, I do not belong to part of the body. Or if the whole body homeschooled, where would the, where would the sense of hearing be? Or if the whole body public schooled, where would the sense of, of, of smell you know we can take all of these different perspectives that we all look and 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 live in the same place but there's so much radical diversity in this room it is shocking if you knew it like I did there are people in this room who you know like man they are like never never like been more encouraged by the church in their life. And there are people in this room who are like, man, they've been deconstructing for years. And you know what? There's room for both. And we love the diversity in this church. There are people in this church who, man, they They could not, if if they knew how opposed they were politically, they probably wouldn't talk to each other. But by the grace of Jesus, the Holy Spirit equips them and makes them friends. (laughs) He says it's a picture of the body. Verse 22 and 23 says, on on the, uh, the contrary, parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. May there be no divisions in the body. There are parodies of community in our, in our community. There are parodies, or at least two of them that I can see. And I look at Tulsa, and I look at Owasso, and Collinsville, and Skytuke, and the first one is a rugged sense of individualism. It's this individualistic approach to community. This is the dynamic that many people operate by. They come to church to be the consumer. What's the worship style like? What is the pastor's sermon like? What is the greeting like? Does the, where, where do they meet? What's it look like? What's the kids? Op- They're consumers. It's individual. It's all about them. It's all about how does it meet my needs? And that is cancerous. Because it's not about you. And this... I've done this. You've done this. It's an individualistic approach to community. And then there's a tribalist approach to community. You know this kind of tribalism where it's about community is fundamentally about being with people who are like you. It's where you can gather with our people, our race, our tribe, and you can just share the same news feeds over and over and over again until you just get angry at the world. And tribes are held together by loyalty, and they're held together by taboos. And the tribal approach to community can feel like community, can't it? As long as you're on the inside. And that's the problem. Because in the tribal approach, those who are like us are in, but those who are not like us are out. And this tribal approach to community has been the source of so much violence and distraction in our own country, in our own day, and in our own lives. It feels like community, but it is actually a cancer to community. And you know that. I was thinking this week as I was uh, uh, preparing for the sermon about this movie that I saw when I was in high school. It's a, um, I may have been a freshman in college, but it's this movie by Robert Duvall called A Family Thing. Have you seen this movie before? It's an old, old movie, right? And this—this um, this Robert Duvall plays this white um, pickup truck, truck driving country boy who's just a racist. He's racist. Whole first part of the movie makes you au- just awkward. I mean, he doesn't hide it at all and his mother tragically dies and the attorney shows up and gives him a letter from his mom and and he reads this letter and he learns in this letter as he reads it that that she is actually not his mother. But he is the product of a liaison between his father and their housemaid who was black. And Robert Duvall realizes that the very people that he hated, he is. And he goes and he tries to find his brother, his half-brother, who is a Chicago police department. (laughs) And uh, he's he's, uh, Rodney. He's played by James Earl Jones. And the whole movie plays out between Robert Duvall and James Earl Jones, learning how to agree with each other and to learn in the end to love each other. It's a fascinating story of how the one man is changed. Happens in the church too. You know that. There's a woman in a French church of mine who's who. Her father passed away. She has passed since now too. Her father passed away in World War II at the ball- at the Battle of um, uh, the the Philippine Sea, and her father. Um, uh, was killed by the Japanese. And as a little girl, all she ever knew from her mother was that her daddy was killed by a Japanese man. And she, she helped with the nursery at their church, and, and in comes this, this, this Japanese family to join their church. And she just doesn't want anything to do with them because they killed her daddy. One day, she's in the nursery, and this family gets involved, and the father signs up to, I'll be sure to help however you need. And they needed him in the nursery. And so, they were short-handed one day. And so, she's in the nursery, and guess who gets to work with her in the nursery? With this Japanese man. And here she is as an old, old lady who's held this grudge for decades and decades against Japanese people. And he's in the nursery room with her, and she can't get out because they, she can't leave. They're trapped. She's trapped together for an hour with this man. And Over the course of the hour, with this man caring for these babies, the Holy Spirit works on her heart. And he begins to break her of her hatred toward Japanese people. And she begins, slowly but surely, to begin to engage in a relationship and a friendship with him. And over time, she actually becomes friends with this family, this Japanese family. And when, when she passes away herself eventually... Guess who their family chose to be one of her pallbearers? But this Japanese man who is a crucial part of their church family together. It's beautiful. Some of you have been trapped by the Holy Spirit to have to get along with people that you, you know what, I just don't have that much in common with them. But you know what, that's good for you. And it's good for me. There are people who are on different, places, different ways to care for others. You may not agree with them, but guys, we are the body of Christ together, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful, and you're going to get trapped one day. I, my, my grand, Some of you know my grandfather was, I don't know if you know this or not, but my grandfather spent time in prison, and he owned a dairy farm. He started a dairy company, and he hired two men to run the dairy company for him. Both men happened to have red hair. Sorry, Andrew happened to have red hair. My son has glowing red hair. And um, and and one day the authorities showed up at the at the dairy. There had been money missing and he didn't know exactly where it had gone, but he knew these men were reputable men. They took care of it and the authorities showed up at, at the dairy farm and they they called him and said, you know, we need you here. He said, well, well these guys will take care of it. And they said we can't find these guys anywhere. And they had taken money from the dairy farm and they had swindled hundreds of people out of their investment in this dairy farm, and they had taken off. And my grandfather, my grandfather went to prison for their crime, and he paid back every single person that he owed money to over the course of his life. But he despised people with red hair. (laughs) So in my family, we didn't grow up as racists. We grew up as hair colorists. And so, what a shock it was to my grandfather when my oldest cousin, who's married to this amazing woman, they get engaged, and he brings her to Thanksgiving to meet Granny and Pawpaw. And Mark comes in, gives my grandfather a big hug. Papa, it's so good to see you. Let me introduce you to Bonnie. And in she walks. And guess what color hair she has? Flaming red hair. Trapped. I don't know how the Holy Spirit's trying to trap you. But you know what? He is and he's doing it in love. How does this happen? Verse 13 says it happens by one spirit. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to us in John 14:16, John 14:26, John 16:8 through 11. Jesus says the Holy Spirit will be given to you to be another comforter, to comfort you and to provide a way forward to make you something beautiful my faithful presence in this world. In fact, all you'd ever want is right where you'd never look in my local body, the church. Not consumers, not tribalistic, but a body together. And it says not only is it of one spirit, but it says it's also according to his plan. Look at verse 18. It says, but as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. He chose each of you to be part of this church. He knew exactly what this church needed. And there are others out there still that he needs that he's bringing. He chose you. The word arranged in Greek is the same word that Jesus uses when he says, who lights a lamp and puts it under a bushel or a basket? But he sets it on a stand. He sets you on a stand. He arranges you just right so that you can shine with all of your gifts and your beauty in this church. Children, listen to me. This is not your mom and dad's church only. This is your church too, kiddos. And one day you'll be in a place where your mom and dad may be, should the Lord bless you to have children, and you'll be able to say to your children, this is not just my church, this is your church because we make up the body together. We as adults need you to show us pictures through your simple faith in Jesus of how beautiful and believable he is. And you need us. The dynamics of the covenant community, that we are a body in all of our diversity, he has made us one. Secondly, the function of our covenant membership. Members of Christ's church function as crucial but limited parts together to produce enormous power for good. Members of Christ's church function as crucial but limited parts together to produce enormous powerful good in the world. That is the church. That is the role for us. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many, verse 14, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any more or less part of, a, uh, any less part of the body. We are crucial. You are crucial to this church. Have you ever seen a body without a liver? Have you ever seen a body without a kidney? Nope. Have you ever seen a body, well, without an appendix? Well, yeah, we said goodbye to the appendix a long time ago, didn't we? But have, have you ever seen a body without uh, an epiglottis, the oft-neglected epiglottis? Have you ever seen a body without lungs? No, they're crucial. They're a part of us. Have you ever seen a church without a Steve? Or have you ever seen a church without an Anna? Or a Bill? Or a Greg? Have you ever seen a... We need you! You are crucial. Now you, verse 27, are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Not only are we crucial, but we're also limited. Have you ever seen a body, children? Have you ever seen a body completely comprised of tongues? <laughs> Ugh. What about a body that's completely uh, comprised of, of of epiglottises? That's a, a, or, what, you, epiglotti? What about that? Right, the little part under your tongue, uh, part of your tongue. No. Have you ever seen a body completely comprised of kidneys? Ugh. Or of fingers? No way. Why? Because your role is limited. You're crucial, but you're limited. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged us in Trinity, each one as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many body parts, yet one body. Friends, we are also, we are different from each other, and we also differ with, together, together with one another. And this is our beauty. We're not only different from each other, but we're also different with each other altogether. And we comprise something that the world desperately needs to see. I don't know what the cure is to mental health out there. It's complicated. It's very difficult, isn't it, as we have the rise of mental health issues. But I can tell you this. I can tell you that there have been families that have been healed and marriages that have been restored. You know how? Because they did the radical thing of they kept coming to worship. They kept coming to small group, community group. They moved in toward a body of Christ, and they did so in an environment where people all thought they were the worst sinner in the room and all pleaded the blood of Jesus together. That's a healthy place to be. Nobody wants to go to a place where they've got lungs boasting about how great they are or people who were just bragging about how much theology they know. We can talk theology all year long. I would love it. But what you need to recognize more than that is that your brothers and sisters in this church need you. You are crucial, but you are limited. How has He equipped you to serve Christ's church? If this was the last sermon I ever preached, it would be the one I would love to go out on. Because He's called you to this church. The dynamics is that we're all different, yet we're one. The function is that we are crucial, but we're limited. And the uniqueness of covenant membership, the uniqueness, is that there is in the church no pecking order. At work, your boss is most important. In almost every area of your life, there's somebody in the room who's most important. In church, you think, well, the pastor or the elders are most important. That's a lie. No, we're not. We play a role to serve the body. The Church of the Lord Jesus Christ is the only organization in the world that has a membership requirement that simply (laughs) says, the only thing you need to get in is the admission that you don't belong. Because he brings you in by grace. And he transforms you Plato was the first one to make the point that we say, my finger hurts. We say, I hurt. John Chrysostom said in the fourth century that when you have a thorn in your hand, you have to bend your back and you have to flex your belly and your thighs and you have to strain your eyes and everything together focuses on that thorn to get it out. And when one of us suffers, we all suffer together. When one of us mourns, we all mourn with them. Whenever one of us needs Aid, we all rushed to their aid. Even this week, you know, we we had somebody who had the amazing faith and vulnerability. It was an act of faith to ask the deacons for help. And the deacons, of course, gladly helped this person. And one of the elders showed up to help them. And they came and they gave them their credit card and said, you go get groceries and you buy whatever you need. Blew way past the budget they needed because they needed these things and they said, you take as much as you need. That was the body, being the body, caring for each other in our time of need. And if you're in this room, and you need help, and your pride is keeping you from asking for help, would you please ask the Holy Spirit to begin to do work on you, even in that area? And if you have the gift of resources and you just feel owned by them, maybe the Lord's calling you to give the Deacon's Fund as a way to help you get beyond your escape that you use by trying to pull in as much money as possible, especially right now as we think about the shadows of a recession. We cry together at funerals, we apply the balm together of home cooked meals when we are in need, this church needs you. And if you're visiting this morning, I'm going to say the same thing to you. You may be surprised how much we need you. And if you're looking for a perfect church, then this is going to be a sore disappointment to you. But if you're looking for a church that is desperately trying to show that grace changes everything by manifesting the truth of the gospel here in our midst, right here, contextualizing it for Owasso and Tulsa. That's our power. Nobody is more uniquely able to minister in the circles in which you minister than you. And our collective power, we're not trying to save the world, we're just trying to help be the picture of Jesus' presence in Owasso and in Tulsa, Oklahoma, right now. And in so doing, we can be a place of health and joy because for a lot of us, what happens is we go to church with these kind of individualistic or tribalistic mentalities. We get caught up in them. We go serve, 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 and then we burn out. And then in our burnout, we tune out. And then after a while, that doesn't seem to help us, and so we get out. And you know this is true because a lot of you have had that experience and you've come here. So may we be a people who have two orthodoxies, both the orthodoxy of doctrine, as Francis Schaeffer said, and the orthodoxy of visible community, where people love each other. The dynamics, the function, and the uniqueness, all you need where you'd never look. And I imagine, too, that if um, Wendell Berry were among us, he might... um, say, of the church, when despair for the world grows in me and I wake in the night at the least sound of what my life or my children's lives might be, I come on Sunday morning and I sit by Kathy in her blue jean jacket or by Steve in his white shirt. And I rest in the beauty of Christ's presence with him in need. We come into the peace of wild things. We're gathered saints and burden their forethoughts of grief. We come into the presence of still water. And we feel above us our unblind Savior, exposing us by his light. And for a time, we rest in the presence of vulnerability, being known by our loving Savior and by others. And are free. Let's pray together. Father, would you help us to be the members of the body of your Son, the visible members of your Son who died to heal us by becoming a righteousness? Help us to see that all we need is where we perhaps would never look. In a world where people are running from the church Help us, Father, to recognize the power, the amazing, enormous power for good that it is whenever you can have a diverse group of people who gather together and fight to stay together. Open our eyes, Lord, that we may look and learn what you're teaching your church. And may we become one in all of our diversity by the power of the one Holy Spirit who we celebrate on this day of Pentecost as we use our gifts arranged by your sovereign hand for your glory and for our joy. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Trinity, please visit our website at trinityowasso.com.